0: Well, this morning, we are privileged to have back with us Todd Bolton, and Todd Bolton came and spoke with us early in January, and we've invited him back to have a piece of this series on the Holy Spirit. So Todd, why don't you please come? Why don't you welcome Todd Bolton, please? Well, good morning, Valley Bible Church. Great to see you all again. I do have to warn you, though, if you keep inviting me back, I'm just going to get more and more comfortable. Uh, And so I don't know if that's good or bad, uh, but it's just a joy to be at this church. Um, Just appreciate the love for Christ that's evident in your worship and how you interact with each other and your desire to be used by him, not only in each other's lives, but also in the world. And so it's a joy to be here. Thank you for inviting me back. If you have your Bibles, you could open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, and we are continuing the series on the Holy Spirit a couple weeks back. Matt kicked off this series by talking about who is the Holy Spirit? and what did he come to do? Larry last week talked about what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? And then this week we're talking about spiritual gifts. But in light of all the things going on in the world, I mean you might ask yourself the question, like, is this really necessary? I mean, we're two years into a pandemic. We have Russia's invaded Ukraine. We're on the verge of potential Cold War, nuclear war. Like, why spend the time thinking about something like the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Well, hopefully all of these world events remind you of one thing, and it's that this world desperately needs Christ. They need to see a picture of Christ, and that's what the church is here to do. God designed the church to be a visible manifestation of Christ to the world around us. And spiritual gifts actually play a very important part in that. Because the church is not one member, it's many members with different gifts. And when all of these gifts come together in service of one another, in service of Jesus Christ, he is put on display to the world. And so there's really nothing better that we could talk about this morning than spiritual gifts. Because we want our witness to be the best witness it could possibly be for the glory of Christ and the good of his people. And so this sermon is titled, Use the Spirit's Gifts to Glorify Christ and Serve His Body. Let's pray. Lord, we are aware of all the things going on in the world. And so much more, I'm sure, that we're unaware of. Lord, our heart uh, is heavy for the events of just even this last week, especially over the events as well as the last two years. The world is in desperate need of Christ, desperate need of the hope that only he can offer. He's the only one that can bring true deliverance, even like we sang about this morning, true freedom. The chains can truly be gone only in Christ. So Lord, use your church, use your church to proclaim the glories of Christ to each other and to the world. And may you convince us and encourage us, remind us that you've given each one of us a gift by your spirit to be used to that end, that Christ would receive glory in the world. Excite us with that. May it spur us on to use those gifts for the glory of Christ and the good of others. Speak to us this morning. We need to hear your voice, not my voice not one another's voices. We want to hear your voice through your word because we know if we hear that, it'll change our hearts and it'll change this church. So we pray in Christ's name, amen. So use, your, use the Spirit's gifts to glorify Christ and to serve others. Now, if you're going to do that, the first thing you need to do is make sure that you measure your spirituality in a desire to glorify Christ and serve others. That's really what this chapter is all about. Paul's answering the question, what does it mean to be spiritual? Look at verse 1. That's what he starts out as. Now concerning spiritual gifts, right? Or concerning spiritual things, concerning spiritual people, concerning spirituality. What does it really mean to be spiritual? That's what he's after in this chapter. Now most people actually like the idea of spirituality, Right? I mean, you talk to most people, they're fine. You know, the idea of a higher power, guardian angels, patron saints, you know, tarot cards, fortune cookies, Oprah, whatever it is. People like spirituality. They like to consider themselves spiritual people. But the question is, what is true spirituality? What does it truly mean to be spiritual? I mean, the context of this church in Corinth, this is kind of a church with some issues, I mean, Larry kind of alluded to some of those in chapter 11, that there's some issues when they come together for communion. This is, church is kind of a mess. I mean, nothing like this church, I'm sure, but you, you might not know that there are churches out there that sometimes they're not as perfect as they could possibly be. In chapters 1 and 2, Paul talks about the, the fact that they've become embarrassed by Paul and his gospel. They say, Paul, I mean, you're preaching Christ. You're telling people there's sin. You're telling people there's only one way. I mean, just tone it down a little bit. In chapters three and four, Paul gets into divisions in the church, right? People saying, I'm of Larry. I'm of Tim. I of Matt. I'm of Matt. Or the really spiritual ones that say, I'm of Todd. No, there's really spiritual ones that would say, I'm of Jesus. Right, But it's just causing divisions in the church. In chapter 5, there's sin that's not being dealt with. In chapter 6, they're suing each other. There's misunderstandings in chapter 7 about marriage. In chapters 8 and 9, they're not using their liberties in a good way. And then in chapters 11 through 14, even when they gather together as a church, there are issues. They're not caring for each other. They're not loving for each other. They've been distracted from Christ. And the thing that probably kind of moves Paul the most to write this letter is that I think the Corinthian church thinks they're doing things well. They think of themselves as really spiritual people. and So he's wanting to show them what true spirituality looks like. So let's read verses 1 to 3 of chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed... You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So Paul's showing there's only two kinds of spirituality— There's a spirituality that makes much of Christ, or there's a spirituality that diminishes Christ. And he wants to show them that the things they're thinking make them spiritual aren't actually not making them spiritual at all. He reminds them of their background in chapter 2. It says, You, when you were pagans, were led astray to mute idols. And I think what's happening is the Corinthians, they came to Christ, but now they're sort of kind of mixing in some of their Christian things with some of the ways that they were before. There's even these counterfeit gifts, I think, that are going on here. But Paul wants to remind them, where did any of the spirituality you had before lead you? It led you astray. It led you to mute idols. Idols that have no power. Idols that can't change you. Idols that aren't even real. And so he wants them to be aware that a lot of their spirituality before was focused on the wrong things. It was self-focused, right? It was, what gift do I have? What's my reputation? What's my place in the church? Everyone should be like me. It was individualistic. It wasn't concerned about the needs of others. And ultimately, Paul's saying, where does all self-focused spirituality come from? not the spirit of god and ultimately where does all self-focused spirituality lead you to it leads you to statements like he makes that jesus is a curse jesus has no value in self-focused spirituality the corinthians were saying basically if you want to be really spiritual you need to speak in tongues they were obsessed with that gift they thought that was the mark of true spirituality. And it's kind of amazing that people today still believe that. If you really want to be spiritual, this is the mark of true spirituality, that you speak in tongues. Now, many people here might not say that. But we might have our own versions of what does it really mean to be spiritual. Oh, well, if you're really spiritual, you'll go to this Bible study. Or if you are really spiritual, you would help the homeless. Or if you were really spiritual, you'd use essential oils, or something like that, right? What's the idea? That we create this standard outside of Christ to mark out what does it mean to really be spiritual. And anytime we do that, who are we taking the attention away from? Jesus Christ. Arguing about gifts, arguing about your favorite preacher, it's all distracting you from the glory of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's all false spirituality. Now, if that's false, what does true spirituality look like? Well, that's what he mentions at the end of verse 3. No one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. The heart of true spirituality is the statement, Jesus is Lord. Lord. True spirituality is measured in a desire to see people know that Jesus is Lord. And that's true spirituality because that's exactly what the Spirit of God was sent to do, right? John 16, 14, the Spirit will come and he will do what? He will glorify me. The Spirit wants to glorify Christ. So to be truly spiritual means that you want to glorify Christ. You want people to see that Jesus is Lord. And notice that. That's what he really wants to hone in on. Jesus is Lord. Because Jesus is many things. Jesus is a wise teacher. Jesus is a good example. Jesus is a loving shepherd. Jesus is a sinless savior. But the essence of spirituality is not just in those things. It's in the statement, Jesus is Lord. To truly know Jesus is to confess that he is Lord. He's not just a wise teacher. He's not just a good example. He is the Lord. That's true spirituality. And if all you care about is that, if all I care about is that people know that Jesus is Lord, guess what you don't care about? Yourself. I don't care about myself anymore. It's not about me. My spirituality is not focused on me and my gifts and what I do. It's focused on him and him getting glory. Right? Who's the greatest man that ever lived according to Jesus? John the Baptist. was the greatest man who ever lived according to Jesus. John the Baptist had a rich, vibrant ministry. Right? He had whole towns of people coming and flocking to him to hear his teaching and to be baptized by him but something happened somebody else came along and people started leaving john to go follow this other person who was that jesus and john's disciples come to him and they say hey john look what's happening all the people that used to follow you are following jesus how does john respond good right that's the whole point It's not about me. It's not about my ministry, the part that I'm going to place, that everyone follows me. It's been about him the whole time. But don't you care that everyone's going and following? I don't care. He must increase. I must decrease. That's true spirituality. It's all about Jesus is Lord. That's the evidence that the Spirit is truly working in your heart. Jesus is Lord lord i want him to be glorified it's not about me it's about him that's the first mark that paul wants you to know about true spirituality it's all about jesus but the second thing and really what all of these chapters are about in 11 11 through 14 is that true spirituality that confesses jesus is lord is also marked by a desire to serve others and to use your gift for the benefit of others Chapters 12 and 14 in 1 Corinthians, it's all about how do you use your gift to serve the body. And what's right in the middle of those two chapters, 1 Corinthians 13, about love. True spirituality is a desire to glorify Christ and using your gifts to serve others out of love. That's what it means to be spiritual. Spiritual. Now, Paul will say at the end of chapter 12, desire the gifts. Desire the, by all means, desire gifts. But desire them so that you can use them to glorify Christ and love your brothers and sisters. That's what true spirituality is. So we need to learn to measure our spirituality in service to others. I think a lot of times we measure our spirituality in individual exercises, right? How many times did I read my Bible this week? How much time am I spending in prayer? Am I memorizing scripture? And you can start to feel like, well, I'm pretty spiritual. Like, as long as you don't have to interact with anyone, you are, right? Christ's vision for his body is not individualistic. It's the whole body working together. Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. That's actually a plural command. That's for all of us. It's not just you personally do that. But all of you do that. And then where does Paul go? Romans 12, right after that. Serving one another with the gifts that God has given. That's what it means to live a life dedicated to God. I want to glorify Christ, and I want to serve his people. If the Spirit of God is truly working in your heart, you will not be an isolated Christian. You can't be, because you love your brothers and sisters. You want to be with them. You want to serve them. You'd even want to give your life for them and for the sake of Christ. You know, I think think Paul finds it incredibly ironic that the Corinthians have become obsessed with the gift of tongues in particular. Because who are you serving when you speak in tongues and no one can understand you? No one, right? Who's hearing about the glories of Christ when you speak in a language that no one understands? No one. So they become obsessed about this spiritual gift that really isn't providing a benefit to anyone in the body. Christ isn't being glorified. People aren't being served. True spirituality is about the glory of Christ and service to his people. And that's the starting point for understanding spiritual gifts. Before you even think about what gift do I have, what gifts are there, how do I use them, that's the starting point. It's all about glorifying Christ and serving others. Second, let's marvel at God's design for the Spirit's gifts. Look at verses four through seven. Look at God's design for these gifts. It says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities. But is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So Paul starts talking about what are gifts, right? And he uses several terms actually to describe the Spirit's gifts. The first in verse 4 is that they are gifts, right? They are presents. They are things that were given to you that you didn't have before. When you When you came to Christ, when you confess that He is Lord, the Spirit gave you something you didn't have before. Maybe an ability that you didn't have before, or an effectiveness that you didn't have before. The Spirit has given you that in verse 4. Verse 5, it talks about these as services from the Lord. So a gift is meant to be used in service. So the Spirit gives an ability. And that ability empowers you to serve others. So gifts in ministries. And that's sometimes why when you look at the lists of the spiritual gifts in the New Testament, that sometimes it's about particular abilities like healings, miracles, prophecy, those things that Paul lists here in a moment. But other times gifts are people, preachers, evangelists, apostles, prophets. So there's a very real sense in which you have a gift— but you also are a gift to Christ's church for the building up of the body. Verse 6 talks about them as activities of the Lord, or really effects of, from God, which means that these gifts are powerful. They actually do something. They produce change. When you're using your gifts here, this church is changed. God actually changes this church when you use your gift. Their activities, their effects, they're powerful, right? When you're here and you're using your gifts, lives are changed. Relationships are restored. The church grows, maybe in numbers if you're gifted as an evangelist, or maybe in just maturity if you're gifted as a teacher or something like that. This church actually changes when you use your gifts. This church will be different because you are here and you use your gift. Lastly, verse 7, he refers to these as manifestations of the Spirit. In other words, they're visible. They're noticeable. Noticeable to the church, but also noticeable to the world. And again, that's why we started out this way. Why study spiritual gifts? Why think about that? Because when gifts are used, the body becomes a visible representation of Christ to the world. Notice also here, in addition to these different terms for the gifts, the whole triune God is involved in the giving and using of these gifts. Right? Verse 4, who gives the gifts? The Spirit. Verse 5, who uses those gifted people in ministry? The Lord. Who gives effectiveness to all of these things? The Father. Right? So the whole Trinity is on display in the use of spiritual gifts in ministry the church. And why does Paul talk about that? Because Paul wants you to see that there's unity and diversity in God. And there is unity and diversity in his people. And that should be something that we celebrate and appreciate. They're unified, right? They're, even the, the Godhead is unified in his desire to exalt Christ to the glory of the Father. But it's diverse in each part the per each person plays. So practically, you know, sometimes we think, well, why, isn't, why aren't more people like us? Like, well, they shouldn't be. They should be who God's made them to be, who God's gifted them to be. They don't have to be like me, and I don't have to be like someone else, because there's beauty in diversity. And what's the result of all of this at the end of, chapter, end of verse 7? The common good. Everyone benefits. At the beginning of verse 7, how many people get a gift? Each one. So the 10-year-olds who just believe the gospel, they get a gift. Yes. Right? The 80-year-old who's walking through here with tennis balls on the walker, does she have a gift? Yes. Do you have a gift? Yes. Does Larry Howard have a gift? Well, no, even Larry, right? He has a gift. Everyone has a gift. If you confess that Jesus is Lord, you receive a gift from the Holy Spirit to be used for the good of his body and the good of the church, of Christ. And so what happens at the end of verse 7 when every member starts using their gifts? The common good. It benefits everyone. And it becomes a wonderful picture of Christ to the watching world. And so, of course, that begs the question then what are the spiritual gifts? And that's exactly where Paul goes. Look at verses 8 through 11. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another, utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one in the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So what are the spiritual gifts? Well, he gives an example of some of them. This is not an exhaustive list. He give, Paul gives different lists and different letters and some these are just nine particular gifts so you can get a little bit of an idea of what some of the gifts might be wisdom you know how do i take the truth of god and apply it to life right people are particularly gifted in that knowledge right how do i understand who god is and his purposes in the world faith the gift of faith that i believe that god can do incredible things And I think what you see in these gifts is that there's a sense in which these gifts are sort of present in everyone, right? Everyone is supposed to walk in wisdom. Everyone's supposed to have knowledge. Everyone should be exercising faith. But God gifts people with kind of an extraordinary measure of some of these things. Like there are people that God has given wisdom to help people navigate life. There are people to which God has given faith that they believe that God can do incredible things. There's other gifts listed in other places. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty-eight. later in this chapter, he talks about apostles, teachers, helps, administration. Romans 12, 6 through 8, talks about serving, teaching, exhorting, and then the gift nobody wants, giving. Uh, no Leadership, mercy. 1 Peter 4, I like the way he does it. He kind of just puts all the gifts in two buckets. He who speaks, do it this way. He who serves, do it this way. There are speaking gifts and there are serving gifts. And then Ephesians 4 obviously talks about evangelists and so on and so forth. But the point is that he has given a variety of gifts to his people to be used in his church so that Christ is glorified and his people are helped. Now one question that comes out of any discussion about these gifts is, are these gifts still active today? Now, first, I would just say that God is still active today, right? Father, Son, and Spirit are still active today. But there are gifts that seem particularly unique for certain time periods of history. When the gospel was starting to go forth and to go into other countries and other peoples that have not heard the gospel before, God often attested to the truthfulness of the message through signs and wonders and healings and miracles, Right, Hebrews 2, verses 3 and 4 talk about that. So some gifts, it seems like, were very specific for a very specific period of time. And they may not all still be active today. But the point is, with all of these things, is that God has a variety of gifts that he wants to give his people. Everyone gets one, and they're to be used for the sake of Christ. Look at verse 11 again. these are empowered by one in the same spirit who apportions to how many people to each one individually as he wills you are carefully placed here at valley bible church by the spirit with a gift for the good of this church i mean paul emphasizes this look at verse 18 But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Verse 24, God composed the body. Verse 28, God has appointed. What's that mean? It means that your being here is not an accident. The sovereign God saved you, gave you a gift, and put you at Valley Bible Church for a reason. God has composed this body, right? The elders didn't compose this body. You know, you guys just making just decisions didn't compose this body. God composed this body. If you're here, it's because God has given you a gift to use here. So again, the practical question might be, well, what, what gift do I have? Well, a few things to think about. You know, oftentimes, you know, spiritual gifts tests will sort of circulate. But what I find with spiritual gifts tests is it's kind of like personality tests where you kind of answer based on what you want it to be rather than maybe what you actually are. Uh, And so, you know, those might be helpful to an extent. But I think some basic questions, how do I know what gift I have? Just start with, what do I enjoy doing? What do I enjoy doing in the church? What kinds of ministries give me joy? That's usually a good place to start. Maybe if you're not serving, you could think, what needs do I notice when I look at the body? Because you're probably going to notice needs that other people don't notice. And that reason for that might be that you're particularly suited by God to help meet that need that the body has. You could go to good, trusted friends that know you and know Christ and ask them, hey, do you, what gifts do you think I might have? Have you've witnessed, you witnessed know, me in ministry? But probably the best advice if you want to find out what your spiritual gift is start serving <laughs> start serving right if you go to valleybible.org slash serve they give you a top 10 list of the needs that this church has right now i mean just look at that list pick one out contact whoever's in charge of that and say hey I, i'm interested in just kind of serving in this ministry to see if it's a good fit for me can i shadow somebody for a couple weeks And as you do that, you'll start to find out what your gifts are. You know, you might serve in a ministry and be like, that was a horrible mistake. I should never serve there. That was not a fit for me. But you might then find a ministry that is perfect for you. That is exactly what you're gifted for. And so start serving the body, and you'll find out what your gifts are. And then lastly, use the gifts the Spirit has given you to serve the body. Paul closes this uh, first paragraph, really, with verses 12 to 13, emphasizing that there's a picture here that he wants to show of unity and diversity in the body of Christ. Verse 12 it says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. So unity and diversity in the Church. Unity in the sense that we are all members of one body. And we've all been baptized with the Holy Spirit and made to drink of one spirit in verse thirteen. You know, Paul, in those verses, he's talking about your conversion. That when you were converted, you were baptized into the Spirit, and you received the Holy Spirit inside. That's what happens at your conversion. That's not a second step. That's not something that might happen if you're really mature or spiritual. No, that's what happens to every single believer at conversion. You're baptized into the Holy Spirit, and you receive the Holy Spirit. So there's great unity in that. We're baptized into one body through the spirit but there's also diversity look again at verse 12 one body has many members verse 14 for the body does not consist of one member but many i mean you think of a body right a body has many different parts hands feet arms legs mouth ears eyes nose mouth it's many different members but how many bodies just one Unity in diversity. So what are some of the implications that Paul then unfolds through the rest of this chapter? Well, the first is this. The body needs you. And so we should celebrate the diversity of the body, and we should recognize that we are a part of it, and the body needs us. I mean, trust that you are a valuable part of the body. You know, you might say things like, well, you know, but I'm not, I'm not gifted like him. Like, well, who cares? <laughs> you don't have to be gifted like him. You're gifted probably in a different way. And you're a valuable part of the body. Yeah, but well, look at her ministry. It's so much, you know, more vibrant than mine. It's like, great. Rejoice. Rejoice that her ministry is doing well and trust that God has given you a gift that's going to be equally <laughs> beneficial to the body. This church needs you you know we went shopping with my daughter one time uh, at target and we bought her like this little sparkly binder you know it was like an organizer journal all of these things and so we got it home and we kind of unwrapped it and then we found in the journal section that the front of the journal said be you do you for you and at first you as a christian you look at that and you're like that's ridiculous you know but if you change that last phrase that can actually be a good slogan for a christian Be you, do you, but not for you. Do it for the glory of Christ and the good of his people, right? What is that saying? Be you, be who God created you to be. Don't try to be somebody else. You be you, you do you. And if you do you in the church, the church will benefit. Valley Bible Church needs you, every single one of you for it to be as healthy and Christ-glorifying as it can be. Believe that. Trust that. If you're not here, this body suffers. All right? So that's one implication. The body needs you. But here's another implication. You need the body. Recognize that you have a need for the various members of the body. There should be no Lone Ranger Christians in this church. We shouldn't have the prideful assumption that I can get along just fine on my own. I don't need anyone else. You need Valley Bible Church and the gifts that this body has for you to be your healthiest. And so if you're not here, not only does the church suffer, you actually suffer as well. So two implications as we close. First, what do we think about the idea of virtual church? So imagine someone asked Paul, like, hey, what do you think of virtual church? I think he'd be like, hey, what's that? Uh, well, it's this great thing where um, I can kind of sit on my couch at home and I can put this thi- you know, the sermon on this magic screen and I don't have to be anywhere. I can just be at home and I can do church from home. What do you think, Paul? Based on this, be like, what are you, nuts? It's like the church is not just a sermon. The church is a body, and all members of the body are vital for the good functioning of the body. Now, I will say, I I know, and I'm not being facetious or anything, there are good, legitimate reasons why you might not be a church, right? I mean, if you had a desire to exercise appropriate caution, right, to think about the last two years, to honor the governing authorities, There may be seasons when you're not at church. If you have serious personal health conditions, or you're caring for someone else that has serious personal health conditions, there may be times when you don't gather with the body. But I hope that those situations pain you, that you don't want to be apart from the body, that you realize just how important it is for the body and for you to to be here. Because I also know how comfortable and convenient online church is. I mean, it was great, right? I mean, how great is it to roll out of bed, you know, stay in your PJs, hop on the couch, grab a coffee, grab a scone, and just do church, right? I mean, that, that, that was the life for a couple of weeks. No scrambling to get the kids ready. It's like, I don't even have to take a shower. I can just go to church right here on my couch. But church is way more than a sermon. Way more. So why aren't people coming back to church? I think sometimes it's because we've lost the vision of the church as a body, and we've reduced church to the place that I go to listen to a sermon. And if that's all church is, well, I can do that at home. I can go and sit on my couch and listen to a sermon. But church is way more than a sermon. Again, there may be times when you have to be apart from the body but may it be that your general consistent practice is I want to be with the body. I know I need to be with the body, and the body needs me. So no virtual church. Second implication. We have to change our thinking about church because we're Americans generally. I think we think of church with kind of a consumer mindset versus thinking about church as a place where I vitally contribute. What do I mean by that? Well, a consumer thinks this way. What am I getting out of this, right? So a consumer mindset in church is, what am I getting out of this church? How is this church meeting my needs? Does it play the music that I like? Does it have a preacher that I like to listen to? And we kind of have that mindset sometimes when it comes to church. But we need to see church not as a place where my needs are met, but a place where I can meet the needs of others. We're not to think of ourselves as consumers. We're to think about ourselves as vital contributors to the church. When you come on Sunday and when you interact with one another throughout the week, you are contributing to the lives of one another. You're not sitting out there as an audience. You're participants in what God is doing in this church right now. So what does that mean? If I see something that church lacks, what does a consumer do? I'm going to go find a church that has what I want. What does a contributor do? Maybe God's raising me up to meet this need that I see. That's how a contributor thinks of church. My pastor, Steve, uh, over at Community Bible Church, he would tell this story about how someone came up to him in the early days of CBC and said, hey, when are you going to have a youth ministry? This church really needs a youth ministry. And Steve said, I agree. When are you going to start it? He's like, well, no, 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 I, I mean, I can't start it. I mean, I just, I just know that we need it. He's like, okay. A few months later, the guy comes back. Steve, we really need a youth ministry. This church needs it. Steve says, when are you going to start it? He's like, no, I'm not, you know, I can't do that. I'm not going to, you know, lead it. And then a few months later, he comes back and says, I'm going to start the youth ministry that's a contributor, right? That's someone that realizes when I see a need, it could very well be that God wants to use me to meet that need that I see. That God has gifted me to be able to do that. And so I hope that as we see this, that we would want to be vitally involved in the life of this church. Valley Bible Church needs you. You need Valley Bible Church. And the world desperately needs Christ, a witness of Christ in this world. Look at verse 12 as we close. It's interesting how Paul ends this verse. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with... What do you expect him to say? You'd expect him to say, So it is with the church. But he doesn't say that. He says, so it is with Christ. Why does he say that? Because the church is the visible manifestation of the body of Christ in the world. Right? While on earth, Christ had a body of flesh and blood. His present ministry now, he still has a body, but he has a body of people that make up the church. And he wants to be active in the world, not through his physical body, but through the body of Christ, the church. So we have this wonderful opportunity to use our gifts to glorify Jesus as Lord and serve one another. Let's pray. Father, I hope that as we study these verses that we don't walk away from a sermon like this thinking I really should do this or I ought to do this. I hope that the overwhelming feeling in each one of our hearts is, I can't believe I get to do this. I can't believe I get to use the gifts that the Spirit has given. That I get to be involved in ministries that Christ put me in. That I get to see the fruit that the Lord, God provides as I use those gifts. And Christ gets glory, and people are helped, and people are changed. What a marvelous truth this is. It should excite us. It should be causing us to kind of break the doors down to get in this place to be with each other, to be with each other week to week and day to day, to be the body of Christ for the good of one another and for the glory of your Son. Lord, do great things through Valley Bible Church. May every single member be using their gifts for the good of the body, and may Christ be glorified in his name. Amen.